thankful to be here this morning and be back in Exodus. I will tell you, it's, it's really easy to keep a ship going. It's really hard to get that ship started again. And so when you start Exodus, you're like, all right, this thing's moving. All I got to do is just stoke the fire a little bit. Just put a little bit of coal in it every week. And this thing's going to move right along. And then you stop, and especially you stop on not a normal stopping point. And, and it's like, okay, now we've got to start from square one. So I'm going to do a review from Exodus chapter 1 through 12. I'm just kidding. That's not what I'm going to do today. Um, but anyway, you know my review of Exodus chapter 12 will be long anyway. But I do want to take a few moments to get us back into Exodus. I think the Psalm series was wonderful. Uh, it was thought-provoking, in a sense life-changing, and uh, it sort of was orienting, or um, if that's the right word. It, it put me sort of to where I was focused on my true north again. And I think the Psalms, um, as much as I neglect them, should be a part of my everyday life and probably should be a part of your everyday life. And I I just want to take a brief moment to transition from that into Exodus 12. Um, Over the last few sermons in Exodus, we came to the tenth and final plague, and that was death of the firstborn of all who were not covered by the blood of the spotless lamb. And we also looked at the observance of the Passover and how traditions can be good things. How we shouldn't work so hard to destroy traditions, especially the good ones, especially the fruitful ones. We should work to redeem traditions to the glory of the Lord. And uh, we also saw how uh, the Passover is set to remind the Israelites and subsequently us of our past and the goodness of God throughout all of history to redeem us of our past and to bring us closer to Him, to make us more like Him. And then we get to the text today, and we're going to talk about the Passover again. And there's going to be some aspects of today's text that are going to seem somewhat redundant because we've already seen these uh, in Exodus 12 in the rules and regulations that were set for the Passover. And two things I want to say about that. Number one is I'm not going to go over a lot of these ideas. We know that Um, I'm not going to go over them in the sermon in depth, but we know that the the lamb of the Passover was to be a spotless lamb. It was to be the firstborn, and it was to be eaten. It was to be consumed by all of it was to be consumed, and and none of it was to be taken out of the house, and no bone was to be broken. And all of those we've somewhat discussed or somewhat pointed to as as imagery of Jesus and uh, a type of Jesus. The Passover itself is a type of what is to come. Um, the perfect Passover lamb, the, the perfect Passover. Um, but redundancy also does this for us. Redundancy also, in the Bible, it shows or emphasizes the importance of the text. It emphasizes that, hey, look, I'm, I've said it once, it's important. I'm saying it twice because it's uber important. So focus on this. Understand this. Trust in this. Follow this. Our verses today are no different. So instead of discussing just the Passover today and the aspects of the Passover, which we've done a little bit, I, I want to I look at a different sort of aspect of the Passover. And, and I want to see from Exodus 12, verses 13 through 16, I want to see the Passover in our time. Exodus 12, verse 43, excuse me, through 13, 16. 
And as Blake said, and he stole from, um, he stole this from, uh, who was it, Kevin DeYoung. And Kevin DeYoung stole it from someone else, and that person stole it from someone else. We're going to read all of this long text. Because the only thing that we can do that is completely infallible and inerrant today is read the Bible. And then we will, we will study um, as best as we can in our own infallibility and in our own imperfection the words of God. Exodus chapter 12 verses 43 through 13, 16. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would uh, keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. That's interesting. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Keep that in mind. Verse 49. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, by their host. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep the service in this month. Seven days you shall not, you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory. Um, just a little side note. We're not going to talk about this today other than right here. Remember the leaven was a symbol of sin. It was a symbol of their old life. And in Jewish tradition, they would even sweep the house. They would clean the house down so that no leaven would be found amongst them. The Passover, then, is a symbol of God recovering, of God restoring them from an old life to a new life. This is why it's important, why it's overemphasized, why it's repeated, that leaven should not be found in the house. You shall tell your son, verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue at this appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey shall redeem. Uh, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons shall, you shall redeem. 
And when it is time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that his, excuse me, that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Will you pray with me today? Lord, you are good. And what we see from the Passover and then subsequently communion is that you are ever-present, you are true, you are right, you are there, you are redeeming, and you are rescuing, and you are keeping. And Lord, help us to always remember those thoughts and more. Uh, as we observe um, ordinances and statutes that you have set for us to observe. God, teach us from your word today. Help us to be faithful to your word. But most importantly, Lord, help us to be faithful to your son who died to redeem us, who saves us, who keeps us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit makes us more like you every day. We trust you. We praise you. We give all of these things to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may find it difficult to see the connection between the Passover and our time. But today we're going to make a connection. We're going we're to show the connection that's already made between the Passover and communion. Today I would like to attempt to make that connection for you and show you how the two parallel while giving you some regulations and a better understanding of the Passover in our time. Now, there are some clear parallels that we can see right off. The first is this. From Egypt to Jesus, the Lord is telling us that the Passover and in communion, in the Passover and in communion, that to, to deliver one from justice or from judgment requires death. Let me repeat that because I fumbled that a little bit. The Lord is telling us in the Passover and in communion that to be, in order to be delivered from judgment, that death is required. But not only that, the Lord is telling us that through the Passover and communion, that in order to be delivered from judgment, that a substitutionary death is required. In Passover, it was the spotless firstborn lamb. In communion, we see, and, and Passover again, remember, was a type to remind us of Jesus, the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Both Passover and communion are symbols of the perfect Lamb who takes away the sin all, of all who have ever believed. They are examples of the Lord for, uh, or excuse me, they are examples of the Lord for His disciples from the Bible as we observe or as we see the Passover and as we take communion. My belief is, friends, that the Last Supper was the last real Passover. And what Jesus is doing in the Last Supper is He is making a... It was the last real Passover and it was the first communion. And what Jesus is doing in the Last Supper is He is making a connection with the Passover and with communion and He is showing the parallels and He is showing the old way that was somewhat broken. It was the right way, but it wasn't fulfilled. It wasn't broken, it just wasn't fulfilled. And then the new way, which is communion, which has been perfectly fulfilled by the DBR, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus 
Christ. So in as much as we can, by what we know about the Passover and by what we know and have read about communion, we're going to... We, uh, we can come up with some objective truths of how the Passover parallels to communion and we can see the Passover in our time. I want to give you five today. I want to give you five lessons about communion from the Passover. I think it's important. We take communion every week. It's important that we know how to objectively defend our reasoning for taking communion. It's important that we know how to objectively defend our reasoning for why and how we take communion and why we do it so frequently. The first you need to know is this, friends, that communion is an exclusive occasion. Communion is an exclusive occasion. Exodus chapter 12 says, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. Foreigners are excluded from communion. But every slave that is bought for money may eat it only after he or, or he has, excuse me, has been circumcised and rec- represents their family. So the, the, uncir- the foreigner is forbidden from communion. The uncircumcised slave is forbidden from communion. Verse 48, if a stranger shall so, so, sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised then he may come near and keep it he shall be as a native to the land the uncircumcised sojourner the uncircumcised traveler the uncircumcised worker is forbidden for from communion because it says this but no uncircumcised person shall eat it there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you communion is an exclusive occasion as much as we like to think the Passover and communion are open events, they really are more exclusive than one might think. The truth of the Passover and communion is that they are exclusive. And we see this later in texts like 1 Corinthians ten sixteen through 17 where Paul says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is, not a, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ that we break, uh, that the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Passover was an exclusive occasion and is a model for how we do communion. The first restriction of Passover is that no foreigner shall eat. Remember, the first Passover would have included many foreigners because the Israelites left Egypt with a mixed multitude. But it wasn't enough just to be around. Listen, this is an important distinction I'm going to try to make for you. It wasn't enough to just be around God's people. It wasn't enough to just be among God's people. So foreigners were excluded from the Passover. We see further why uh, in the next verse. A slave may participate, but only a slave who is circumcised. Circumcision was, of course, the public profession that you were a part of the people of God. You were a part of the family of God. Then it talks about a hired worker. A hired worker shall eat only if the men in his family are circumcised. The sojourner or temporary resident, the traveler, shall eat. But only if the men in his family are circumcised. What was keeping then? These people from eating, partaking of the Passover. There were two restrictions. There were two restrictions that kept people from the Passover. And I think they sort of continue along in our path to communion today. 
The two restrictions were this, that they were God's children and that the men of the groups were circumcised. We know we have this parallel. We have this direct correlation. Communion, just like the Passover meal, is exclusive. Still today, we have these two requirements that parallel to the Passover of the Old Testament. And the first requirement for partaking of communion with the body of Christ is this, that you must be a part of the body of Christ. You must be a part of the family of God. Communion, just like the Passover, excluded outsiders. It excluded outsiders. It excluded people who were not a part of the family of God. Communion is, as Paul said, for those who share in the sufferings of our Lord. Those who share in this one body. Those who share in this blood that was shed for this one family. Those who have tasted the, the, the broken body of Christ and have been washed by His perfect blood. And there was another requirement for circumcision. Or there was another requirement for communion. That was circumcision. Spoiler alert. That was circumcision. So we must be a part of the family of God and we must be circumcised. Now, now we don't practice circumcision anymore in a religious sense, but there is a parallel to circumcision. And what is that? Baptism. Baptism is the parallel to circumcision. Baptism now is the public professing of being a part of the family of God. Now, I'm convinced then by these texts and the New Testament texts that a person, in order to take communion rightly, should be a born-again believer and should be baptized before they receive communion. Now, for Adventist Church, we have open communion, which simply means this. We allow any professing believer to come and take communion. We don't feel, as a church leadership, that it's our responsibility to say, you can take communion and you can't take communion. But what we do is this. We fence the table. We put a fence around the table by every week. We say, look, these are what we believe God requires of you before you come to the table. So we protect the table by putting out, and protect the people of God, honestly, by putting out this, these regulations that we see from the Scripture. Now, at one point, and I don't know why we ever stopped. But at one point, Blake would come up here every day. And this is not, I didn't look at Blake. I was just looking at Blake because we actually had this conversation a few weeks ago. Um, we stopped and we had a conversation about it. And we both said, I don't know why we did. I don't know why we stopped. But honestly, I can't remember why we did it either. So now I remember why we did it. Um, Blake would come up before us every week and he would say something to the nature of, you must be born again and you must be baptized. And I believe, I am reaffirmed by studying this text, I believe that because the parallels between Passover and communion are made by Jesus, and then they're talked again against in, uh, we have them in the Old Testament, and they're spoken again um, by the New Testament uh, writers, I believe that two of the biggest stipulations for coming to the Lord in communion is that you must be a part of the family of God, and you must be baptized. We don't think it's our responsibility as a church to deny anyone the privilege of worshiping through communion. But we do believe it is our responsibility to tell you of the cost of taking communion or the consequences of taking communion. There are legitimate consequences of taking communion in an inappropriate way. You can be heaping, the Bible says, judgments on your head. As a matter of fact, they, as a matter of fact, they took communion improperly in the New Testament church. And what happened? Sickness. And even death 
from taking communion in an improper way. So for the first thing you need to see as parallel from the Passover is that communion is an exclusive occasion. Hey, but I'm not going to leave you hanging because the second one is this. Communion is an inclusive occasion. Communion is an inclusive occasion. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised. Then he may come and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person, person shall keep it. Friends, without a doubt, communion is exclusive. But it is also inclusive. If we don't just look at the negative side of the regulations, we can see a positive side. Passover was for all of Israel. All who were, who were a part of God's people and all who had either been circumcised as a male or as the males being the head of the family had been vicariously circumcised. Communion, though, was not just for Israel. See, what we find is in that God making, a, as Blake said earlier, as God making specific stipulations for the foreigner, specific stipulations for the, the traveler, specific stipulations for the hired worker, for the slave, in God making those specific stipulations as to why they should not take communion, he was also making stipulations to open communion to those people, to make communion an inclusive event. Therefore, communion was not just for Israel. It was for the foreigner. It was for the slave. It was for the worker. It was for the sojourner. It was for everyone. Anyone who met God's standard and then wanted to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Here is the key difference, folks, and I pointed to it earlier, and you need to hear it. Friends, you need to hear this because we live in an age where there's a lot of people who live among the people of God but who are not a part of the people of God. The key difference in the Passover is this. For the foreigner, it was not just enough to be a foreigner among the people of God, but he must have been a foreigner a part of the people of God. Friends, you cannot be among the church and it be good enough. You cannot congregate with the church, hang out with the church, wear the Christian t-shirts, listen to the Christian music, read Christian works, Listen to Christian sermons. Attend Christian services. Attend a Christian school. You cannot be all of those things and automatically be a part of the children of God. It must take, it must take an act of volition that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in surrendering to the Lord, believing His commands, repenting of your sins, and trusting in Him in faith. You cannot be among the people of God and take communion. It's not enough. You must be a part of the people of God. The Passover and communion are, are inclusive, friends. The Passover and now communion did not exclude people because of their skin color. It did not exclude people because of their character traits, their nationality, or their past. As a matter of fact, it can be seen and, and include, as inclusive because of that. And the Lord specifically made a clear path for the foreigner, the traveler, the slave, and the hired worker. He made regulations as to how they can be included. And as we connect these two ordinances, we find that anyone who is willing to be a part of the family of God 
to obey his commands, to follow him, will be allowed to sup with his people and therefore sup with God himself. To eat on the body, to drink the blood of Jesus as we remember the great work that he has done for us. Friends, communion is inclusive because the millionaire and the homeless man stand at the table desperate and needy for God to redeem them. It is inclusive because the immigrant and the citizen stand at the table desperate and needy for God to redeem him. The slave and the free man, the harlot and the virgin, the person with the sketchy past and the person with a somewhat clean past, all completely, as they stand at the table, they are recognizing their dependency on God to save them. They are trusting in the work that they that is represented by that table. And they are following him in the same path. Moses said in Exodus that there is one standard for the native and for the foreigner. And that carried from Passover to communion, friends. And that standard is not to grow up in a Christian church. That standard is not to surround yourself with Christian things or Christian people. That standard is to surrender to the one who gave up his life for you. There is one standard for the native and the foreigner. Communion is exclusive in a sense, but it's also inclusive because it brings everybody to the same point, and that is needy, that is rescued, and that is hopeless without him and full of hope with him. It's exclusive. It's Inclusive. Communion is a responsive occasion. Verse 49, There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. The Passover was a time where the Lord put his foot down. For the foreigner, the slave, the worker, the sojourner, they could participate in Jewish culture all they wanted to. They could completely assimilate. They completely ingrain themselves in the culture. They could mingle and trade and work amongst the people of God. They could be friends and they could commingle their lives completely to where their old culture, their old past disappeared. But the Lord put his foot down because they could not participate in the holy things together. The Passover was an opportunity given to the people outside and inside of the kingdom of God to respond to God. Friends, you need to hear this. If we're never willing to set, or if we're never willing to proclaim the standard that God has set for salvation, this is a side sermon within a sermon, but it's actually the sermon, so it's sort of a matrixy of side sermons. You'll get it in a second. Without our willingness to proclaim a standard that God has set, no one will ever be able to understand how to reach and repent and believe and trust in God. The reason God put his foot down was not to be a jerk. It was not so he could be a judgmental, unloving God. The reason God put his foot down and said, here's the standard, is so that people could know how to find him. People can know how to trust Him. Friends, you will not be a gospel proclaimer in the way God asked you to, in the way God requires you to, unless you set or at least present the standard that God has required. 
Because what you are doing, if you don't present the standard that God has required, is you are hiding from people the way, the truth, and the life. And you are presenting to them something that the Bible doesn't present to them. Therefore, you are not giving them an opportunity to respond to the Lord in spirit and in truth. Communion is a responsive occasion. You may not know this, but we don't do a traditional altar call at Vintage Church, number one, because they're awkward. I mean, I don't, I, I'm just being truthful with you. I don't like standing, I mean, like last week when we were at Boulevard, and he was standing up at front, and we were doing like 40 verses of that song, I was like, man, I'm glad that is not me. They are awkward. But the primary reason we don't do an altar call at Vintage is because communion is the time we believe that God set aside for God's people and for the people outside of the family of God to respond to God in spirit and in truth. Communion is the time that you deal with God. It's the time that you ask for forgiveness of your sins. It's the time that you're met in your life with, am I truly a part of the family or am I just among the family? And the reason there are standards for communion is so that if we give standards, then you, then you, you require people to at least examine their lives and see if they meet the standard that God has set for them. It's better to have a standard and have someone upset with you than have no standard and have someone walk happily into hell thinking that they're doing the right thing the whole time. How many of you have had your children come up and ask you about Jesus and the gospel because you said, that table is not for you? That was one of the reasons, uh, the first conversation that, uh, that I ever had with Ellie about the gospel, like where I thought she was understanding it, it came up because there was a standard for communion. There's a standard that God had set. And then she was required to make the decision, not of her own volition, but through the Spirit of God eventually, and that's happened, whether or not she was going to respond to what she knew. Whether or not she was going to respond to what she knew. For believers, communion is a time to examine our own lives and to see whether or not that we have been abiding in the Lord throughout the week, whether or not we've been abiding with Him for our lives. And of course, the evidence of that is that we bear much fruit. But the reason it is so important is we, that we see communion as a response time is because it is also a time for non-believers and people who aren't sure about their faith to examine their life. It's a time to ask simple questions like, am I taking this vainly or rightly? Have I repented and given my life to Jesus as Lord? Or am I a part of the family of God that I am claiming to be? Have I been baptized? Like the Passover, communion is a time where people, where all people must first answer the question, do I live among the people of God or am I a part of the people of God? Communion is a response time. Communion is a response time. Most of you in here today have been forced at some time or another to respond to what you know about God and what, the requir what He requires of communion and to either repent or to seek forgiveness or to honor God in some other way before you came to this table. By God's grace, communion is a response time. And by God's grace, it will be that way at vintage until we die or till he returns. Communion causes a response because the act causes you to ask yourself questions that you might 
not normally ask yourself. It causes you to answer questions that you might not normally answer or to search for answers to questions that you might not normally have to answer. It also causes a response because the Lord made obedience objective. He made obedience objective. It is not something that you can just choose to follow or choose not to follow. Verse 49 says that the path for the native is the same as the path for the traveler. It's the same as the path for the foreigner. He made obedience objective. And what I mean by making obedience objective is this. In order for you to follow the Lord in spirit and in truth, there must be fruit in our lives. There must be fruit in our lives. And if, in fact, there is fruit in our lives, then we will be able to come to times like communion. We'll be able to come to times like baptism. We'll be able to come to times like Sunday morning service, like missional community groups, like gospel circles. And we will be able to express in the will of God how God has been working, how God has been moving, how God has been changing our lives. Communion elicits a response, and I think that's a good thing. It's exclusive. It's inclusive. It is a responsive occasion. Communion is a memorable occasion. Look at verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, remember of, of chapter 13, remember this day in which you came out, of, came out from Egypt. Remember out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, this is the first strong hand, the Lord has brought you out from the place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Remember, remember, remember. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory. You shall tell your son, remember, remind him, let him know about it. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time, from year to year. Communion, because the Passover was, communion is a memorable occasion. The Lord said that they were to have this Passover to remind themselves, to remind their children and their children's children of all that the Lord has done, to tell them of His might and His goodness to all of His people. Now, there is not much difference between communion and Passover here. We take communion every week. Now, this is uncommon amongst many churches, but it's still vastly important because communion is a memorable occasion. It reminds me of every time I go back together or get back together with my high school friends. When you get back together with old friends or high school friends, what do you do? I mean, you talk about the memories. You talk about the good times. You talk about the bad times. You talk about all of it. I mean, when I get back with high school friends, they remind me of the good and the bad. They remind me uh, of, we were reminded of the football game we lost or the friendships that have faded away or how I narrowly escaped English class and never passed a, uh, um, what are they called, a research paper until I got to college. 
uh, how I needed a girlfriend to pass many other classes. Not cheating, just uh, extra tutoring. Um, but in the end of my life, I thank God because of all, all that was a part of who I was that made me who I am so that I can be more like Him. In a small way, we take communion in this way. As we take this cup, it's a memorable occasion because we remember first and foremost how desperate and needy we were, how unable that we were once the uncircumcised foreigner, that we were once the uncircumcised traveler, and that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through His power, He has saved us, He has redeemed us. Now, we are no less needy. We are no less needy, but we are redeemed and we are in His power, so we're not needy in the same way. We are still needy, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to rely on Him, to trust in Him, and therefore we can become more like Him. The Passover is memorable. Therefore, communion is a time of memory. Through the Passover, we see fragments of our failures and our successes, and and both remind us our neediness and dependency upon God and remind us of the goodness of God. Not every sermon will be on Passover or communion. Not every sermon will focus primarily on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In some way, shape, or form, it should be in there in some way, the gospel. But every week, we point back to the work of Jesus when we take communion. Every week. I've had people say, well, Bryce, don't you, don't you think your communion will get stale if you take communion every week? Typically Baptists, that's fine. They take it once a quarter or whatever. But yes, the communion bread will get stale if you take it every week. But communion for the believer should be a constant reminder of the goodness of God. And the only reason it gets stale is because throughout the week we have not been surrendering ourselves to what we know about that goodness of Christ. And even if we don't surrender, even if we are having trouble surrendering throughout the week. Communion is a time that, if rightly taken, reminds us of what our true north is. It reminds us of where we were, where we are, and who Christ is going to make us. It's funny, the command of Moses, just a little side note, the command of Moses, or the command of God to Moses and the people of Israel was this. You're going to take it now after I rescue you, but when I take you to the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Amorites... When I take you to those people, you're going to take it then too. Why do you think it's important that he points it out there? Because if they're in that land, it means they were victorious. They've gone from 400 years of captivity to a victorious living. And friends, communion is memorable for you because in your captivity and in your victory, it points us to the God who was there in both. It points us to the God who is true in both. So friends, either whether you're in captivity right now, whether you're in the land of Egypt, or whether you're in the land of the Canaanites, communion is a memorable occasion to point us back to the God of the communion. We take communion every week because it is on par with anything else in reminding ourselves of the goodness of God. The goodness of God through salvation and His work to take a desperate and dying people from slavery and the grave and into new life. 
My favorite part of this, my favorite part of this little section is with a strong hand. With a strong hand, the Lord rescues. With a strong hand, the Lord delivers. With a strong hand, the Lord preserves. He keeps. The last thing is this, and we'll go through it quickly. Communion is a connecting occasion. You can tell that I almost felt English because I don't know what tense to use of all of these things. I just use, I just like throw something on the wall, and if it works, it works. Every once in a while, Blake reads it and he connects it, he corrects it. Every once in a while, Katie reads it and she corrects it. But if not, if you get something that looks like a fifth grader trying to do 12th grade English, that's me. Communion is a connecting occasion. Verse 16. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Communion is exclusive. It's inclusive. It's responsive. It's memorable. And it's also connecting. This is one of my favorite aspects. How communion connects. Now you may not see this at first glance, but I'm going I'm to hopefully get you there. Our passage today, but specifically focusing on verse 16, shows us how communion is connecting. And I think we see it in two ways. Communion connects us with other believers. Communion connects us with other believers. He said, the Lord said, look, it's going to be on your forehead. It's going to be on your wrist. And you know what? You're not going to be the only one that's wearing it. It'll be a sign to you and to all who see it and to all who believe of the work that the Lord has done. Communion is connecting. Verse 16 says that the Passover was a sign to the people of God that they are still God's people and still rescued. It shall be a mark on your hand and on the frontlets of your eyes. Friend, if we learn any, friends, if we learn anything from communion, we learn that we are in this together. That we are His and we are still set free by the body and blood of Jesus. We learn that as we see other people walking forward to the table. We learn as we see other people walking forward that we have family, that we are connected, that we are in this together, and that we are connected to something bigger than ourselves, that we are not the only ones in this race, that God still has a remnant of us and others who are faithfully following Him. Communion connects believer to believer but is the, because it is the continual sign of our neediness and the continual sign of, our, of God's faithfulness. And as we take communion, we are, not only being, we are not only being a sign and a testimony to ourselves, but we are being a sign and a testimony to each other that God is alive and He is still working in us and through us. Communion connects believers together. Not just believers that take it within the confines of this building, but believers who are taking and participating in communion all over the world today. We are connected by the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and He is still working. Communion is connecting. It connects us together. Communion connects us with Christ. That may seem obvious to you, but still want to say it. Not only does communion connect us with other believers, but it connects us with Christ. When we come to the table, we are expressing our continual need to meet with and to trust in Christ. We are expressing our continual reliance on His will and His plan. Listen, communion is not something to brag about. Communion is not something to be, to be uh, uh, arrogant about. 
It's not something to take lightly because what you're doing when you come to the table is not saying, look at me, I'm redeemed. It's saying, look at me, I'm a sinner. I need help. I'm I'm constantly relying on this bread. I'm constantly relying on this blood. I'm constantly relying on the body and the blood of Jesus. Communion is not something you take with your chest puffed up, but it's something you take with your head bowed. You take humbly. You take in a manner that honors and is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we take communion, we are not expressing strength in ourselves. We are expressing weakness. And we recognize that when we are weak, He is strong. We recognize that it is through our weakness that His strength was made manifest as He removed us from our slavery. When we come to this table in this manner, Christ once again condescends from heaven and He meets with us to reward our obedience with His presence. At the table, he reminds us that his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient in my weakness because his power is perfected in weakness. That when I am weak, he is strong. At the table, he reminds us that it is by grace we are saved through faith. And it is not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God. At the table, he reminds us that, that it was his love that, commended, that was commended to us. That while we, will, while we were still sinners, that he died for us. It is at the table that reminds us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It is at the table that reminds us that though our sins were as dark as night, they will be made whiter than white. Though they were red as crimson, they shall be made like wool. It is at the table that reminds us of His power and plan to save us and keep us. At the table, Christ meets with man, and man meets with Christ. And for that moment, the connection is palpable. I would ask you, friends, because of what the table represents, to never take this table for granted. To never take this cup, never take this bread lightly. There's a small connection I want to make here. Do you know what using the name of the Lord in vain means? Most people first, and I've said this to you before, so you probably know, but most people think it's saying God in an improper sense, which is part of it. Do you know that using the names, the name of the Lord in vain is simply this? It's using the name of the Lord in any way that is not fit to honor and glorify His name. It is using the name of the Lord in any way that does not worship His holy name. You want to know how communion is taken in vain? I mean, in a sense, it is taken in vain in doing anything, coming to this table in any way, half-heartedly, not meeting the requirements, not doing it in spirit and in truth. Communion is uh, uh, taking this table in vain, taking this table lightly. Is anything we do that comes before God, including this table, that does not give Him glory, that does not honor His name, that does not show that He reigns and lives in our lives? May we never take for granted what it means. But may we truly repent and believe the gospel and every day, every time we come here to this table, may we sup with the God who saved us because he is ever present and ready to meet with us, to condescend, to show of his great love 
and goodness to us. Pray with me today. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. And this table represents the fullness of your goodness. That at the right time, your son condescended to earth. He came in the form of man. John said that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of God through the Son of God, through the Word, full of grace and truth. God, you are good. May we never take your goodness for granted. May we never take your goodness lightly. And Lord, as we get ready to come to this table, may we never take this table, this bread and this cup in an inappropriate manner. Lord, may we never profane your name by taking communion flippantly, by taking communion out of the parameters that you have said. May we trust that the gospel is enough to save us today, that the body broken for us, that the blood shed for us not only gives us access, but redeems us, atones for the sins that we cannot atone for. God, we praise you. We love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.